listeners, welcome back to this bonus content that we have from a conversation a few months ago with my friend, Kevin Plow. This is Stu Davis, the executive director at Cause I Love You, and we had the opportunity to be a part of a live streamed event hosted by our friends at Thriving Financial. And what you're about to see is the second half of a conversation that happened between Kevin Palau in Portland, Oregon, and myself. And if you haven't, then I'd encourage you to stop this conversation right now and go back and listen to episode nine, which is really setting the stage and allowing Kevin to unpack what a city gospel movement is and some of the various flavors it takes on around the country, and then some of the ways that we talk about what we do with Cause I Love You here in the Pikes Peak region. If you've already listened to that, then I hope you enjoy the next few minutes of a Q&A session between Kevin and I and some of the audience members who were a part of that live stream as we talk a little bit more practically about what it looks like to be a part of a city gospel movement, both here in the Pikes Peak region and certainly in different parts of the country. So I hope you enjoy this second half of our conversation. start with just the question that says for more for the person who's who's not as familiar with because I love you I'm inspired I'm excited I don't know if my church is involved sort of what's next for that person yeah thanks I appreciate that great question first of all I would check with if you're if you have a, a lead pastor or perhaps if you're at maybe a mid-sized church or larger you have an associate pastor or somebody who's over local missions and outreach or something like that. We, we use the term church captain for kind of the internal point of contact that we have at many of our local churches. There's a good chance that if your church is kind of involved in kind of doing things in the city, that we've at least had a conversation, if not had some sort of partnership. If you're unaware uh, and perhaps you'd be interested in being that person, we would love to connect with you and you can simply reach out to us through our, through our website. And we would love to continue to expand the number of churches that are involved and frankly, to plug you into things that are right in your neighborhood as very simple, practical, easy ways for you to love and serve families that are right there nearby your church. So reach out to us. If you're unsure, certainly connect with your church pastors and see what the conversation has been like with Cause I Love You up to this point. Kevin, did you have anything that you wanted to add just kind of to that concept in general? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think when you're just, I guess I would just say that you are blessed uh, in Colorado Springs, if you live there, to have an organization like Because I Love You, because, you know, otherwise you are, we are kind of all left to our own devices. Like, I'm just going to randomly go to some agency that I know, or I, I have no idea what other churches are doing. And it's such a blessing for civic leaders to know that there's one place they can go and communicate quickly and efficiently needs that can then be responded to in macro sorts of ways. So, I mean, nothing to add, really just kudos to Corey and Stu and the whole Cause I Love You team. If, if you're not involved, you, are, you do not want to miss out. You can get involved in some simple, simple ways that don't require you signing your life away or getting a new, you know, having a new part-time job, so to speak. So don't miss the opportunities, all I would say. Thanks, Kevin. All right. This is a question that came in from Carla. It says, Stu, you talked about radical inclusivity. Does your great work include an interfaith component? Yeah, I love this question. I'm so glad that somebody actually thought to bring it up. And I, I'd love to hear Kevin's response to this as well, But because I know we've had this conversation. Uh, what I would say is we are an expression of the local Christian church. 
um, the broad stream of the local Christian church, but still we want this to be um, really kind of an outpouring of the love of Christ and the hope of the local uh, of, of the gospel towards our city. So I have relationships and conversations as a as the leader of the organization with points of contact and people who are leading interfaith conversations activities here in our own community, and I think that's incredibly important. But as we talk about City Serve Day, as we talk about some of our school partnerships, as we talk about some of the initiatives that we're involved in, we've made it a real area of focus to say we want to make sure that our local community understands that the Christian community is as, as an expression of our uh, of the love we have for, for Christ, that, that that's how we're expressing this in our local city. Kevin, I, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, and I would, I would say we've been the same. We, um, and at the same time, I know, Stu, because you said it earlier, like in Portland, we're welcoming everybody to be served and, and even more importantly, to serve. So we've certainly, like through this process in Portland, we've developed incredibly good relationships with our Jewish and Muslim and Hindu communities. And there would be certain projects where the mayor would be calling for help in certain ways where we would help get them engaged. But yeah, we, we haven't made it an interfaith effort precisely because um, I, I would kind of joke with some of my um, friends of our other faith or no faith when they would say, well, doesn't that seem kind of exclusive? I'd say like, if you think it's easy to get hundreds of Christian churches working together go try it sometime and come back and tell me. So I, I kind of helped them see like, it's a Herculean never ending task just to get the churches working together. So uh, yeah, but I would say, yeah, I know that when it comes to people volunteering and serving, we welcome everybody. And it's an incredible place for people to rub shoulders with people that believe differently than they do. Thanks. This question kind of piggybacks off of this, this topic in terms of how do you best navigate partnerships with churches with different backgrounds, different practices, different traditions, so still within the Christian community, but like you said, there's a, a widespread within that. How do you navigate that? I mean, I'll, I'll go first and Stu will have, a, I'm sure, a better answer than me. But I mean, to me, it's it's all a matter of like, what are you, what are you focusing on? If you can keep your focus on something that's as broad and biblical as seeking the shalom, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, then you're not getting into the, the weeds of doctrinal distinctives that while they may be important in, when you're deciding what church you want to attend, they really shouldn't affect your ability to serve kids in foster care and make a difference in schools. You're still doing it broadly in the name of Christ. So we've, we've had very few issues or problems. There's always some churches that just are not going to cooperate no matter what. But I think if you keep that, that big focus, and then I'd say also we've tried to leverage just as you've done in Colorado Springs, leverage leaders like school superintendents and mayors and others that have this bully pulpit of, uh, you know, the, they're calling on all citizens for help. Um, so those those two things, I think, remind people that there's a bigger kingdom vision that that all followers of Jesus share. And if we keep our focus on that, it's pre it's pretty it's possible to see a broad range of churches involved, like I know you have in Colorado Springs. Yeah, the one thing that I would add to that is the incredibly critical role that relationships play in establishing these kinds of partnerships, because it's really easy to cast some stones across the city at a church that believes and observes faith very differently, perhaps, 
their tradition is different, their understanding, or perhaps the way they unpack scripture is different. It's a lot different to do that when you know that person, when you have a relationship with that person. Kevin and I, before this uh, recording took off, we're talking about the incredibly important uh, role that just getting pastors together over dinner at somebody's house can play. Um, developing that kind of trust and relationship, because when somebody shows up and whether it's in the news or it's in the public arena in some way, and it looks different than the way that my church or your church might do something, it's much, it's, it's, I see a lot of pastors stand up and say, Hey, listen, before you go criticizing that person, let me just tell you, he's my friend. I know him. I know her. I care about her. We've actually spent some time together. So building that kind of trust and relationship as a precursor to being able to work together. I think that just furthers the work all, all the more and makes it, frankly, all the easier to do it. Yeah, that's super well said. Thank you. Thank you both. I'm seeing a few questions come in about, I'm excited, I'm inspired, but I don't live in Colorado Springs or Portland for that matter. <laughs> At least I think so. <laughs> You're out of luck, um, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the question is, what do I do? How, how can I go about getting an initiative like this started in my city? What are the key ingredients? And maybe even speak to who are the important relationships to start with? Yeah, I think um, I'll remind people that that citygospelmovements.org website um, can be helpful in the sense that it's it's got a lot of information and inspiring stories. And if nothing else, double check that map to see, you know, you may be surprised that there's something going on that you weren't aware of in your in your region. So find out, you know, what else is going on. But I would say one, you know, go in knowing that the spirit is always inspiring his people to love and serve. So know that you're not alone, even though you don't know of anything else going on. I would say, you know, start with your own church and, and celebrate the small things. So it may be that all you do initially is get one other neighboring church to go with you to the principal of the elementary school that your kids go to and people from another church go to. So in other words, don't, don't get daunted by like, well, I don't have 200 pastors and promising thousands of volunteers. I'm going to go see the mayor so am I, is this a waste of time for me? Absolutely not. Celebrate every little incremental step toward a united effort. Um, and I would say, you know, ask around if, if, you know, ask around who are, does anyone know of somebody that serves in that neutral convening role that seems to bring pastors together? I think you'd be surprised. There are usually pastors groups of some kind so start something small yourself, maybe with just your church and another church, but also just start asking a lot of questions and keep your ear to the ground. And you'll probably find other people that share that same vision. Uh, Kevin, can you, oops, sorry, can you remind us of the website that you pulled up just real quick? Yes. And we'll make sure that gets sent out in our follow-up email as well. Yeah, so it's city, C-I-T-Y, city gospel movements, plural, citygospelmovements.org. Okay. Perfect. I'll, I'll add one or two things to what Kevin said, just because I think it's uh, well, it certainly come out of the experience that we had with how we've kind of stumbled through the process of getting because I love you off the ground. I would suggest don't start with the vision, mission and values. You know, don't start with some high level conversation. We're going to lay this thing out. We're going to have a five year plan. We're going to get all the right people. I would say find a couple of I would suggest external partners. If you're in a local church, find somebody at a church like Kevin mentioned, maybe in a different part of town, perhaps right next door even. Um, maybe there's somebody in a business environment, in a for-profit circle, or maybe they're just some sort of city advocate. 
Uh, we talk about that as a role that, that our, our key influencers play as a city advocate, or perhaps it's even a public official, somebody who just has influence, but they're eager to bring their faith to the table in some way and just have a conversation and just start listening. I think anything that doesn't start with listening is going to have a very short shelf life. You heard it from Kevin. They sat down with their mayor. Where can we help? They sat down with their schools. Where can we help? We learned the same from Kevin and some of our other mentors. Where can we help? And then be prepared to just put some people into action. It doesn't have to be 15,000 people. It doesn't have to be 5,000 people. Just say, if we can do something, where can we best help? I'll just give a quick anecdote to this and how it, how it often plays itself out. For those of you who know me, and I know there's a handful of friends on this call, I spent several years on staff with our local rescue mission. So when I talk about homelessness, it came from a personal place for me. And I would say probably every week, maybe even several times every week, I would see a church van roll up on the rescue mission's property or very nearby it. Uh, and a bunch of happy, smiley volunteers wearing matching t-shirts with verses on the back would spill out and start handing out sandwiches and sleeping bags because they had a lot of compassion for people who were struggling with homelessness. I do too. What I also recognized was that our, was that our city at the time was saying, Let's stop feeding people in public parks and making public parks distribution points for necessary goods. And so what the, what the church was doing was a lot of action-oriented compassion, or I should say compassion-oriented action, but perhaps it was slightly misinformed or uninformed, as opposed to if they had just taken the time to show up and talk to somebody at the rescue mission, talk to somebody who's on our city office about working with homeless folks, and saying, how could we best help? They would discover that meals and sleeping bags were actually not the things that those people needed the most. It was relational support and connection to a, a supportive network. And if we can just get people to sit down and have conversations, those things actually went a lot farther than a few peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I think the, the willingness of anybody, whether it's foster care or homelessness or hunger or education or some of these many other things we've mentioned, if they're willing to start by listening, that does so much. Good, thank you. This is another question that came in, which might be able to lead to a few more stories or anecdotes. Um, what has surprised you most since you started this process? I guess I just keep answering first, I guess. Let's do it. Um, yeah. You know, I guess what surprised me, um, and I'll probably think of some other things too, has been the incredible openness of everybody, including parts of the Portland community that, that we went in kind of expecting to be defensive and maybe even rebuffing our efforts. I think that when we've gone in with a truly humble posture, and it wasn't a faked posture like, oh, we better act this way. It was, a, we, were, we felt humbled as we started the process in Portland, because we really were embarrassed that the church was known almost exclusively for what we were against and not what we were for. We really were embarrassed that we'd never had a conversation like this, at least that any of us were aware of in decades. So we did go in saying like, this is crazy that we are supposed to be salt and light and loving our neighbors ourselves, And yet we just, we aren't even in relationship with the people that are on the front lines serving um, the most vulnerable in our community. So I think what surprised me was every time I would go in expecting to have to really work hard to sell the vision and overcome obstacles, it was a one welcome, thank you for coming. 
I, I think our posture had a lot to do with it, but I guess that that was a surprise. Open door after open door after open door. It's a good surprise. Yeah, it's a good surprise. Yeah, and, and maybe I'll think while Stu is in, maybe I'll think of, there's gotta be some negative surprise if I sit and think about it. I think so. I mean, one one negative surprise is that you know the work actually probably gets harder as opposed to getting easier. Um, I'll share this, and this is like the most rough like thing ever. This is a bell curve, as you can see. And if you're familiar with like the innovation curve and kind of the 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 adopters, you have like early adopters at the very front end. It's basically like usually about four to 12% of, of people who are the first ones to buy an iPhone when the iPhone was brand new to come out. They're the first ones to buy some new tech innovation. They're the early adopters. And then you've got the next segment of people, which is somewhere between like 10 uh, and an additional 10 to 15% of people that are like, oh, that's working. I should probably get on that, get in on that. And then the rest of the people in the bell curve kind of tend to follow. Well, I think that it was super easy for us to get these people on board because they wanted something to happen. They were looking for somebody to just step out, lead the charge, and they could get on board and they could hitch their wagon to it. And then that second group after, so the early adopters and then the next group right after that, that first 25% was pretty easy to get on board. Now, now because I love you, we're in this circle up here and we're in this part of the bell curve. And that's where people are saying, it doesn't matter whether it works. Does it work for me? Does it work for my church? Does it work for my organization? How is this going to work for me? And I don't fault them for asking that kind of a question. It's just the way that people oftentimes approach innovation and those kinds of things. But that work has gotten harder, frankly. And that's okay. At the same time, I think the thing that has surprised me on a positive note is how many incredibly sharp, incredibly capable and very experienced people there are that are leading these city gospel movements in different parts of the country and how open they've been to mentoring people like me. I feel like I'm 20 years late to a party that's been happening for a very long time. I wish I'd gotten in on it earlier, but now that I'm here, there's all these people that have been welcoming me into the room and saying, we're so glad you're here. So glad Colorado Springs is on Kevin's map. And let's see what we can do to help you kind of get caught up. And I just feel privileged to be a part of that. So there's some really sharp, incredibly intelligent people doing some very innovative things in different parts of the country that any community who's looking to get something like this started could benefit from. Thank you, Stu. I love that. I want to be aware of our time and what we have left. So I would like to go ahead and close with one last question for both of you. And really that is, what's the future? What do the next, let's say, five years look like for both of your cities? What does dreaming big look like and, and how are you making those things happen? Well, I think, I think for Portland, it's kind of embarrassing and sad to say, but I think our next five years are rebuilding because of the violent protesting that has demolished our downtown. We have to kind of, I like what you said, Stu, about the city positive, like we're having to re like work with our mayor and city leaders to just kind of talk people off the ledge of like, everybody wants to leave, everybody wants to go to Idaho and Nevada and Tennessee, and they want to get out of Dodge, you know, when it comes to Portland, because they've had it. And I, I, I understand it, but I think um, for us, the next five years means just sustaining our relationships and uh, with all the turmoil, you know, that, that's affected churches, just like it's affected everybody else. Many pastors are discouraged. I think what it looks like for us is just being determined to be faithful to each other, 
to the gospel in loving our city. And, and um, so it's funny. I mean, five years before the pandemic, I probably would have, would have said, okay, they would have been every school with a partner and this, you know, that's foster care. Now it's just like, just staying even and not losing ground, I would view for Portland as a success, kind of shoring ourselves up in a very challenging time. I think the church has a key role to play in that. So that might not be the most inspiring place to be, but it's for us, it's a realistic place given the challenges. But I, I don't know who else is going to do it if it's not Jesus followers. Mm. That's really good. Stu, Stu, before you answer, I just want to sneak in this last question because I think it's going to it's going to speak to a little bit of what the future might hold. Um, this question says, do city gospel movements encourage research to clarify what the composition distribution of churches against the backdrop of the demographic composition of the city? I think it's asking like, how do we know what people are interested in and what the city needs? And I think we, we spoke to that a little bit, but just maybe as you're casting that vision for the future, you can include that as well. Yeah, I think a great way for me to answer that question, speaking of intelligent thought leaders, is to point our friends on this call towards an organization in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Rob Kelly is the name of the executive director. Kevin, remind me of the name of the organization. Is it For Charlotte? For That's Charlotte. For, for Charlotte. F-O-R. Yeah. Right. F-O-R Charlotte.org. They have done an absolutely astounding amount of work around um, all kinds, if you're familiar with GIS mapping, demographic data, all kinds of work to really map out <clears throat> poverty, crime, um, home ownership versus home rentership rates, um, all different kinds of social demographics that affect the outcomes of the city. <clears throat> They've been able to map these things out in incredibly detailed ways and use that to really target the work that they do in different parts of the Charlotte area. I'll tell you, I would love, <laughs> I would love to find somebody who's that kind of a smart to join up with what we're doing at Cause I Love You, because the intelligence with which they're able to approach and target the different problem areas of, of the different parts of their community is astounding. Um, so for us, it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of paying attention to the different pockets and parts of our city. And it's talking with thought leaders, with key practitioners. I mean, Kevin mentioned DHS. That's one slice of El Paso County's kind of umbrella that they work with. It's our county health department this past year, which we've done a lot of work with. Child services and welfare, those different kinds of, of departments. And also our local city of Colorado Springs um, staff, the people who are working in affordable housing, who are working in homelessness and poverty, in addiction, suicide prevention. Those are some key conversations that we have on an ongoing basis. And so for me, looking into the future, we're trying to run hard and long into this whole idea of school partnerships. Um, I think that that is the real nexus of our community. Communities meet at schools. 50 years ago, and we can whine and complain that, it, that those days have gone by, or we can just get with the program of what's happening now. 50 years ago, it was our church. Now it's our school. So if we want to affect families, if we want to come alongside hurting families, and if we want to try and really make change happen neighborhood by neighborhood, it's going to happen at schools. At the same time, I would love nothing more than five years from now for our, our in, in addition to our education system, our healthcare system, um, our kind of, uh, if I can call it our food distribution system, talking about access to food, food deserts, healthy access, you know, access to healthy foods. If those types of challenges are being addressed by the local church, working together with public partners, there is 
unlimited possibilities for the future of any city. And I'd love for that to be the case in Colorado Springs. Hey, Cuz I Love You friends, fans, and followers. Thanks so much for joining us on this month's episode of the Cuz I Love You podcast and for this special bonus content. We look forward to seeing you next month on the Cuz I Love You podcast. 